Today, we are talking with Manisha Sewell, Group Chief Marketing Officer of Southeast Asia's largest automotive marketplace, Caro. Manisha oversees the marketing functions in Singapore, Indonesia, Thailand, and Malaysia. Thank you, Manisha, for coming in to talk to us. Thank you, Teresa. I reached out to you because when I first met you, your career story and your mindset very much epitomizes the skill set and mindset we are very much needing in the 21st century, adaptability, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yes. So over the last 15 years, as an introduction, you've progressed through the different marketing functions and responsibilities with different insurance companies from customer insights, campaign management, product and proposition marketing. You've also taught as an associate lecturer and consultant at and training digital marketing and how to build chatbots. That's right. So the question is, how have you identified what might be your next role and how have you prepared yourself to get there over the last 15 years? Sure. So, Teresa, I, uh, I love marketing. I'll be very honest about that. I love marketing. And as a kid, I used to love watching ads. And I'm glad that even though my parents are uh, the usual, you know, my mom's a doctor, my dad's a lawyer, they didn't really push me to pick on one of their professions. It's a very Indian thing to do. My, so my brother, older brother, is yeah. actually a doctor. Yeah. And the natural progression for me was to follow my dad's profession. I love advertising and uh, with the advertising, I think they could see that I, I love marketing. So once I did my marketing major, uh, my MBA, I realized that there are multiple facets of marketing. Mm -hmm. And in order to be a well-rounded marketer, I couldn't possibly stick to just one stream of marketing. Mm -hmm. So marketing back in the days when I just passed out, there was no Facebook, uh, there was no Instagram, nothing at all. In fact, there was not even a, a smartphone available. So marketing was fairly simple, very traditional back in the days. But over time, as marketing evolved, I had to keep myself current and up to date. So I had literally two options, either be uh, left behind and just keep doing what I was doing mm. and hope that uh, I would still be relevant one day or take conscious effort to be adaptable, mm. to be agile and uh, have, have an open mind and know that there's no way I can know everything. So really learn. And when I say learn, I had to be a learner almost every single day. So yeah, it was really all about adaptability and knowing what's the end goal I wanted mm. was to be a well-rounded marketer. Mm. And I will do whatever it takes to be one. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you. What was it like for you from, with all the training and the learning you did yourself after your degrees, to go from being a technical expert and then stepping up and managing people? So I think being a technical expert, if you ask me, was a lot easier than being really a people's man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, uh, you know, as I say, if you want to go fast, you go alone. You want to go far, you go with people. And I used to be quite fast and furious when I was uh, by myself, a technical expert, an individual contributor. Mm -hmm. But once I started managing people, I realized I had to switch gears, literally. Mm -hmm. I had to switch gears from being fast and very... Uh, I almost use the word selfish because I want to get things done fast. I want them done my way. I had to switch gears from being fast and selfish to pretty much being very collaborative, consultative and uh, being a very good listener mm. to the team. And one of the things that I've learned over time is a lot of leaders don't listen. And when you don't listen to people on the ground, that is where a lot of leaders lose out. Mm -hmm. Because we may be uh, looking at the big picture, mm -hmm. but when people who are working on the ground, if they don't have the relationship with you, mm. which is open enough and they know that they will not be judged, there's a lot of insights that senior leaders can miss out. Mm. So I think from being fast, I had to slow down a little bit. And from being focused on myself, I had to focus on people development mm -hmm. and uh, really training them. Mm. That's great. And I think one of the skill set 
in listening uh, bodes very well to being in the startup space because you're listening for what might be the emerging demand that is being unmet. So can you talk to what challenges did you face in switching from corporates yeah. to startups? Absolutely. So one of the things that I felt was in a corporate note, the environment is very prim and proper. Mm. Uh, there are protocols in place. There are uh, playbooks to, to go by. So you know that if you want to get something approved or marketing budget approved, all you need to do is build a solid plan, present it to a certain level, a certain senior management. If majority says yes, you're good to go. Right? So it's very clean cut. And also, I was given a marketing budget in the beginning of the year. In fact, if I don't spend the money, I was asked, why didn't you spend it? In fact, I was questioned mm-hmm. because uh, you know, you're given the money, you better spend it, even though I felt we were wasting the money. So from being prim and proper and following the protocol, I think the startup world is really, it's an open book. Mm-hmm. And you make the rules every day. And the key thing that I've learned is uh, the willingness to experiment. Mm-hmm. And not having the fear of failure mm. is what really keeps me and I would say my team going. I don't mind if we try something out, even if we think that just the smallest thing that we might be successful, but at least try it out and take some risks. Without that, if we keep doing what we're doing, mm. there's no way on earth in startup we can be su- su- mm. successful. So if you ask me, rejection and sometimes failure is your best friend in a startup. Mm. And you need to be strong-hearted a little bit thick skin mm. <laughs> and know that you know what uh, it's okay if it fails we'll just try again differently but what do we learn from previous failure that's most important exactly and the mantra in startup worlds of failing fast and learning from it is yes. so so important right yes fail fast yeah. fail forward yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious did you ever have an inner critic like most of us do and what's your tips for quietening it down sure oh I, I do have an inner critic and I think everybody should have one mm-hmm. uh, if you don't then there's something wrong <laughs> <laughs> so I do have an inner critic and uh, I've learned over time to uh, distill the noise out mm-hmm. and really listen to what matters. So I'll share with you some of the things that I do, right? One of them is really my uh, my morning routine. So I wake up quite early and I spend time with myself, uh, alone time, and I, could just, and I exercise five days a week for at least one hour. And I do it because when I'm alone and I'm just... Uh, Know, taking uh, out for a jog or I'm just alone in the gym there are decisions that I make uh, which I tend not to make hastily mm-hmm. even taking up the startup role uh, my current role it wasn't an easy decision Teresa it was a tough one in fact my mom was supporting my dad was wondering you know what are you doing because mm. you know it gave you such good education you have such solid you know uh, MNC experience corporate yeah. experience and your career is doing great why do you want to put yourself in a situation yeah. where you have to work doubly hard God knows whether you'll be paid <laughs> and I said no dad I really want to try mm. so it took me a while to come to that decision and I actually took the decision on an early morning while jogging. Mm. I did not take a decision hastily. Mm. So I was jogging and I believe that once we quiet the mind Mm. and we have time to ourselves and when you sleep on certain things, we tend to make better life decisions. Mm. So I was jogging and I, I was listening to my Spotify playlist and one of the songs came up and the lyrics just hit me out of nowhere and it was the song is called I'll Be There it's not the Mariah Carey yeah. but there's I think this singer called Jess somebody I forgot and uh, it just gave me the reassurance that no matter what is going to happen next you know don't have the fear and uh, 
someone's watching over me mm. so don't worry i'll be there nice right to, yeah. to police for the night and yeah. to, to to watch over you i still remember that feeling i just listened it just came as the right sign that i was looking for mm. and i said you know what i'm going to do it uh and that was the day i said okay let, let's sign on the paper so it's really about for me it is about quieting the mind finding time alone and not to make impulsive decisions mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Sleep on things. And was part of that decision also because it's a very much in alignment with your personal passion and cars? <laughs> yes, it is, but you see, the thing is I was questioning whether I'm getting blinded by my interest in cars yep. because uh my mom said even if you don't get paid you will take the job because you love cars so much. <laughs> <laughs> I changed 10 cars in 14 years wow. in Singapore where you know the cars are most expensive in the world. and i hardly ever lost any money on, on on the cars that i sold so i think my parents could see that i was very excited mm-hmm. but they were looking out for me mm-hmm. wondering whether i'm being blinded <laughs> by my passion in cars mm-hmm. so yes you're absolutely right and that's the reason why i think that quiet time is important because then i can uh, over time you know the excitement will sort of die off mm-hmm. and then the rational mind kicks in mm-hmm. and over time and then when you quieten the mind then your real inner self you listen to it and when you feel at peace making certain decisions you know it's the right one and mm. that's what i felt that time mm. i was at peace nice yeah. nice nice so tell us more about caro's evolution now from a vehicle marketplace to a subscription model car ownership like a netflix for cars if you like right? yeah, yeah i love that yeah it's a netflix for cars so you know, we realize that in singapore cars are very expensive mm-hmm. right Uh, and the uh, payment scheme for cars is also but it's, it's supposed to prevent people having uh, too many cars on the road mm-hmm. which, is, which is acceptable mm-hmm. but we know that people want access to cars mm-hmm. so be it ferrying your elderly parents be it for your young children or just uh, you know cruising uh, cruising into Malaysia so we realize that people want to have the access but they don't want to own the car because it, it ties them down financially even if You know somebody musters the courage to buy a car when it comes to selling the car the depreciation is so high mm-hmm. plus the time that is wasted you know finding the right right buyer mm-hmm. it's just too much of a hassle so we say look i think given how digitally savvy singapore and singaporeans are we believe the market is ready to have a singapore's first car subscription service mm-hmm. because we are a startup we move so fast the day that we mentioned the word subscription in a management meeting to time we launched it we only took 5 days to wow manage. yeah we moved really fast <laughs> it was i must say it started off with an experiment yeah. uh, but that's again back to the point about adaptability and agility and willing to fail fast and, and just learn from it so we said let us try it because mm. to the time we don't launch we wouldn't know whether the market is ready for it So I wouldn't say what we launched was a perfect product. In fact, the product is still evolving mm-hmm. because uh, we didn't even know whether there's going to be enough demand for mm-hmm. it. So we invested just enough resources to be able to launch it, mm-hmm. put it out there in the market and see whether there's a demand and people want it. There is a very cool model. We took away everything that traditional car ownership stands for mm-hmm. and uh or even traditional car rental stands for. We threw it out the window. So traditional car ownership you need to make a down payment or even you put in a deposit right for our down payment even if you rent a car we said no there's no need to make any down payment you just put a refundable deposit mm-hmm. so there was a big note of that then typically if you uh, rent a car it comes with a contract mm-hmm. we said no we're going to do it with contracts you can there's no contract you can return the car anytime right another one another big pain point was if people managed to lend a car or uh, 
then when it comes to returning the car, mm -hmm. there will be minor nooks and scratches and they would lose their deposit because of that. So he said, I don't think it's fair. The car is there for you, not that you are there for the car. Mm -hmm. So we put in there a walkaway guarantee, which means if you just top up a hundred bucks more every month, no questions asked. If you have kids, you need to put stroller in and out, you know, you damage the car. It's fine. Just use it to whatever that you need the car for. Mm -hmm. So we change it from, in a way, uh, the car owning you, <laughs> which happens a lot in mm -hmm. Singapore, to really people having access and almost changing the way of how people own cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's the sign-up rate so far? In, so it's just Singapore, right? Yeah, only yeah. in Singapore. Mm -hmm. Sign-up rate has, has been phenomenal. So, Great. Yeah, so we have over uh, 4,000 people who are on the wait list. Wow. We have almost 400 cars that are already on the road. Okay. And the reason why we call, position it as the Netflix for cars was really to simplify what we're offering. Because mm. be, you could literally, Teresa, you could change a car every month. That's what we call Netflix for cars. And are, are people doing that? Uh, some are doing yeah? it. Yeah. Some are doing it. Very few, very yeah. few. Uh, interestingly but at least the option is there mm. flexibility mm. is there mm. so yeah and people love that because in Singapore one is the millennial population the yeah. other one is the expats yeah so the expats who are currently in the country for a short while it doesn't make sense for them to buy a car sure. because of depreciation yeah and if they go the traditional route of uh, just leasing a car renting a car it comes with a contract typically it can be a a year, even two years, right? Yeah. But if they're asked to go back or relocate to another country, the moment that they cancel the contract, there are penalties, which is again not very fair. Mm. 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 So we did away with, with that one big pain point. So a lot of our signups are from expats. Mm -hmm. The other one is millennials, really, because the entire process is fully digital. Mm. So you could just go online, you give in your name, phone number, email address, and then you will see a list of cars appear. Mm -hmm. If there's any car that you like right now, you just select it, you can collect it today. Wow. Yeah. And if the car is not there, we'll give it to you in the next two weeks. Right. So it is a very simple, straightforward process. You, even the down payment that you make is through a credit card online. Yeah. It's just like as if you're booking an air ticket, yeah. really. Nice. And then the subsequent payments are just charged to the credit card. So it's very light. Yeah. Yeah, it's very yeah. light. We keep it very light. Mm. So I'm curious, um, in evolving from a market as your core offering to the subscription model, what capabilities does Caro now have to build or buy or has already been evolving in order to meet this new business model? Well, we didn't have to buy or build anything, honestly. So mm. the marketplace, we have a huge marketplace where we do B2B transactions. So we facilitate uh, card transactions between car dealers mm -hmm. so at a big picture car is really what we call alibaba for cars mm -hmm. so we digitize this very traditional uh, space mm -hmm. where uh, used car dealerships are linked with a lot of paperwork there's not a lot of transparency so we go in and then we, we create this marketplace where uh, used car dealers can actually move car can buy and trade cars amongst themselves mm -hmm. in fact this model is very big outside of singapore mm -hmm. in bigger countries like thailand and malaysia and malaysia mm -hmm. Because there we also facilitate intercity uh, movement of cars, mm -hmm. which is uh, which is fantastic. It's not been done before, mm -hmm. so that business still exists, mm -hmm. Teresa. Mm -hmm. uh, the car subscription service was really a bit of an experiment we wanted to try, mm -hmm. just for Singapore, given that we felt the market readiness is there. Again, because there's a huge expat population and there's a big millennial mm -hmm. uh, population, and they want car ownership to be different mm -hmm. we don't want to do it the traditional way mm -hmm. yeah so the key thing that we uh, we have here is really uh, having a very open mindset mm -hmm. the willingness to experiment mm -hmm. and even if the results 
didn't come. I mean, it's been very positive. We are, we are, we are very blessed. Even if the results didn't come in so well, we would have either learn from initial failures mm. tweak the program a little bit mm-hmm. or if it doesn't work we will just end it mm. yeah so mm-hmm. we are not married to an idea mm. we are here to see whatever the customers are ready for we really mm. move uh, the boundaries of innovation and disruption earlier we were talking about your experience in building chatbots for the insurance companies you yes. work for yeah I'm curious if the critical thinking that needs to as a skill set in building the chatbots or the critical thinking as you're evolving your business models it is a key skill that you see um, you needing to invest in uh, ongoingly and hire for absolutely so critical thinking if you ask me is really about asking the right questions mm. And not being afraid to ask questions. Mm. I think as Asians, sometimes we are, we are sort of trained not to ask too many questions. And I think that has to change. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's really about asking the right questions and then figuring out, you start with the end goal in mind and then fig- asking the right questions and sort of working your way backwards, mm-hmm. figuring out what do we need to do in order to get to the end goal. Mm-hmm. And that is very important for uh, any startup or anybody who wants to create innovative products. Mm. And by putting the customer first, I think that's where really the magic happens mm. and make sure it's a, it's a seamless customer journey. So so back to the chatbots. So we, uh, I was leading a team before I was in Cairo, I was with Tokyo Marine, to launch Singapore's first chatbot from a life insurer. And it was a very exciting project because we partnered with a Singapore startup company and we were their first client. So we took a chance on them and they took a chance on us, <laughs> right? So uh, we both took a risk on each other and uh, we launched, we knew that they had the technical capabilities of developing a chatbot, but the chatbot is of no use if nobody is using it. Mm-hmm. And that's where really marketing comes into play. And we actually had an internal debate, who should lead the chatbot project uh, within the company? Should it be uh, strategic uh operations, mm-hmm. strategic initiatives, or should it be the operations team? Should it be customer service? And then I raised my hand to say, uh, I want to give it a try. Because not many people wanted to give it a try because <laughs> it is over and above whatever you're doing. Right? Right. It's, ex- it's in a way extra work. But I knew that the learning is going to be so huge, mm-hmm. not just for me, but also for the team and for the company. Uh, we just had to try what's the worst that can happen right that's mm. what I was going to say what's the worst that can happen mm. I'm better off trying something mm. and learning from it than not trying at all mm. yeah so the chatbot was a very interesting project the technical capabilities anybody can have if you ask me mm-hmm. but what we aim to do with that technology is most important mm. and we use the chatbot not just for uh, to make a lot of noise in the market with with huge publicity that give the brand the edge, that's fine. But we used the chatbot for lead generation Mm. so we could measure the business it was bringing in. So Mm -hmm. the chatbot actually had ROI. Mm -hmm. We created the chatbot, eventually we evolved the chatbot from not just a lead generation but to hire insurance agents. So we were saving on recruitment cost significantly and we didn't stop there. And a few months later, we launched uh, within the chatbot something called a personalized uh, protection gap mm-hmm. that you could calculate. So the chatbot could had a calculator inbuilt. Mm. It would just ask you maybe five or six questions around whatever insurance coverage you have and then compare it with how much you need to have on an average mm-hmm. and give you the exact gap mm-hmm. that you have. Mm-hmm. And within the chatbot, you could trigger that you want to find out more mm-hmm. and it would, be, it would trigger an inquiry to another chatbot mm-hmm. which was used just by life insurance agents. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so we had selected insurance agents who were on uh, sort of a round robin. So imagine these were like two chatbots that were talking to each other mm-hmm. in real time. And that's why the results was fantastic because suddenly the chatbot could create something personalized, mm-hmm. uh, link it up in real time mm-hmm. for a strong call to action. And anytime you wanted to refer back to your report, the insurance agent had the same report as you. And the conversation that they had was so much more meaningful compared to someone just saying, somebody approaching you and making a cold call to you saying, Theresa, I think you need uh, a little bit more insurance protection. Yeah. So the chatbot was really became a very powerful marketing tool, lead generation tool, recruitment tool, mm-hmm. and uh, even customer acquisition tool. Mm. Yeah. And I'm assuming when you launched, it was something pretty basic as a version one. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. And then you evolved it. What's the skill set that is necessary in order for that evolution to happen? Sure. So when we launched it first, it was very simple. It just could answer very, very basic questions mm-hmm. uh, around life insurance. But we had to keep very close watch on what people are asking. Mm. And every single day, mm. we got a bunch of questions that mm. were unanswered by the bot. Mm. So me and my team had to spend a few hours every day just to add on to the whole database of answers. So we had literally learned every day. Pretty much learn on the fly. If you right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and we were not prepared for what is going to happen. Mm. And I think that was the key skill, not knowing what's going to come away, but mm. just say, you know what, we, mm. will, we will play it as it goes. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of, the, one of the ways somebody described it to me was, Manisha, it looks like, uh, we are thrown from an aircraft and we have to build a parachute and fall down. <laughs> that's a good analogy. Yeah, yeah. because that's what it was. Because right. every day we yeah. were getting so many questions. Right. Yeah, so we had we started with something very basic. And then every two months, we really pushed the boundaries of the technology to mm-hmm. say, how else can it benefit business? Mm-hmm. So we went to our stakeholders and life insurance agents are a key stakeholder. And we said, how can the bot help you? Mm-hmm. And they said, can it help me recruit agents? Mm. And then we were like, what? Mm. I don't know. Mm. Really the first, my first answer was, I don't know, but I, I can try. Mm. And then we just got together and within a few, less, I think about three weeks, we launched this module where uh, the chatbot, because of the Facebook Messenger chatbot, mm-hmm. we created ads that were targeted. So we used Facebook uh, to target students who had just passed out uh, from university mm-hmm. and they were looking for a job. Uh, and that they could actually interact with the bot. Create we created a mini quiz inside, you know, to see uh, how people friendly these people are, yeah. which of an extrovert they are. And they, we invited them to an event using the bot. So when the event actually happened to me, so it was very interesting. There was a bunch of people who came because they were uh, they were acquired or they were brought in directly by life insurance agents mm-hmm. who went to the campuses, spent the time there at least three days at in a row spoke to different students, try to sell them, you know, the career of a life insurance agent. And there was this one big pool of people who came because of the chatbot. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating because nothing like this has ever been done in Singapore before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these people, they were, you could tell that they were digitally savvier. They were better informed because they could speak to the bot before they came to the event to just educate them on the different products and services that, the, that we had. And they sort of stuck together because they felt that, oh, did you also speak to the bot? Oh, yeah, I also spoke to the bot. Did you ask the bot a couple of questions? And it was a community on its own. Mm. So it was fascinating to see that suddenly the cost of acquisition of a new insurance agent was so much lower. I would say it was 
fraction of the price. Probably wow. barely. We probably cut down by ninety five percent, really five percent of the cost. Wow. Yeah, just to acquire. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it did so much good for the brand. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, Anna, my last question to you is maybe a little bit personal. Sure. So I was thinking about adaptability and learning from failure. So I'm curious if you can reflect on what might be a personal or professional failure that was actually one of your key learning moments so far. Sure. So I grew up in India, and uh, you know, India we have something called the Indian Standard Time. Have you heard of it? Yes. Right. So it's it's almost drama time. Uh-huh. Right. When I came to Singapore, I uh, still had that Indian Standard Time mentality in my head. Uh, and I remember for my first job as working at Zenith Media, I came a little bit late for a meeting. It was a nine o'clock meeting. I came at nine fifteen. I thought it's still not too bad. And my boss, uh, name was Julie, Julie Chong, if I remember, Julie somebody, and she scolded me so badly, Teresa. She really, yeah, she really scolded me. She said, you know, this is Singapore. You better work on your punctuality. And this is not the way we do things around here. And that was a wake-up call. And I was only what, 23, and I'm glad that she scolded me because you see how early I was today. For the podcast, yes, yes, right? yes, I was yes, early. Yes. I can ask if you want coffee. <laughs> so that has stuck by me uh, for quite some time. So that was one mm. that helped me with punctuality and mm-hmm. really adjust to uh, the Singapore ways. Yeah. And the other one was uh, when I was in HSBC. Uh, I recently joined, and uh, because I moved from Great Eastern, mm-hmm. which is a very uh, traditional Singapore brand, mm-hmm. to an international brand, I wasn't very sure, familiar with how the The hierarchy works very well because mm-hmm. there's the group and then there's you know there's there's the bank and stuff, and I I messed up one of the campaigns where I did not see I didn't I did not see I could not really connect the dots very well, and my boss brought me into a meeting room and he just scolded me and he said, "What is wrong with you? You know I mean you 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 should know better. You're a marketing major. You've already worked in insurance company before, mm-hmm. and you need to be better at." Being able to connect the dots, and I said, "Okay, I, I hear you. Let me try again." Teresa, I must say, HSBC was really the the turning point for me in my career, also because the Lehman Brothers crisis happened back then. Mm. So we were four of us in the team, and uh, three of them were absorbed by the bank. So mm. I was the only one left. So my CEO called me in, and I thought I'm going to get it. <laughs> the next one on the chopping yeah. block. And he said, "Manisha, look, you know what is happening with, with the financial crisis? We can't afford to keep so many people here. So, the three of them got absorbed by the bank. You're the only one left behind in insurance. You got to make it, or you got to break it." Mm-hmm. Okay, I said, "Okay, don't worry, I will make it." And I worked my ass off, Teresa. I really. I really work my ass off. Every day I used to work until midnight, one a.m. Last one to leave the office, first one to come in, because for imagine four people's workload on your head, right? But my learning was phenomenal. So I learned everything about, uh, you know, HSBC so, has so much stickler for brand guidelines, right? From brand guidelines to direct marketing to customer segmentation, because they have all the resources. It's whether you are hungry enough to want to uh, really get your hands dirty and make good of it. So I had to learn and be very highly adaptable, open-minded, and uh, my ass was on the line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm glad that happened. Those I would say at least two. One was the the fact that I was late for a meeting, and the Lehman Brothers crisis that happened. Those two were really turning points mm-hmm. for me in my career. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I'm glad that they happened. Mm, Beautiful. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed uh, listening to the stories of your career and, you know, just the moments of epiphany and learning and actually the contribution you've made to your industry and this new industry now, you know, the business model and what that really offers to Singaporean uh, consumers here as a a start with the brand new subscription model. That's just amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Teresa. Yeah, great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Yeah, good, good. Thanks. Thank you.